na 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 September. <laughs> I can't remember the words. You didn't know what the song was. No, I, I didn't. You didn't like. Um, I was like, is that the one that goes? Ah, yeah. Yes. Na, 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 I don't know. It's all over the internet every fall. I don't know why. <laughs> you didn't know what the song was. Because I'm more of a wake me up when September ends kind of gal. Oh my god. <laughs> no. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where it's not like Europe. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are talking about the 2005 Steven Spielberg alien thriller, War of the Worlds. Yay! Oh my god, guys, welcome to birthday month for Rossi Rue! Welcome to September. As a reminder, for the month of September, Ross has chosen all of his favorite alien-related films for us. Yes, yes, or at least a, a few of them. We only get four, yeah. so I mean, <laughs> there's plenty more, but, you know. And uh, this week, we are starting off with pretty much the source material for Aliens today as we know it. I, right, right. I, I can't believe how long the story has been around with us. I know. Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, if you don't know what to get Ross for his birthday this month, please take yourself on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. It would be the best little birthday present you could get me this month, and we just want everyone to come and join our little watch party. Are, oh. are you ready to be incensed this month by all the alien shenanigans? <laughs> Listen, I I thought that of all the selections for this month, this was going to make me the angriest, but mm, I don't know. It actually just kind of re-traumatized you, didn't it? Uh, like, yeah, it, 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 came, it, it became pretty apparent pretty quick that I had blocked a lot of this movie out. Because it's really rough, isn't it? It is in parts. You know, Spielberg, you know, when we think of a Spielberg alien film, we think of, you know, a little lighthearted tone to some of them. Them, like E.T. or Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where yeah. it kind of ends up cool at the end, yeah. you know, where everybody's okay. <laughs> no, not everyone's going to be okay this week. So we're not issuing a standard trigger warning, but it's going to get rough in parts. We're getting off to a bit of a brutal start here. Also, I would like to consider this one of Spielberg's laziest films. <laughs> and yes, people are like, oh, the 05 War of the Worlds. You mean Tom Cruise running from aliens for two hours. Yep. And I understand your point. It's kind of what it is. But that's the story of War of the Worlds. Absolutely. Is surviving the alien invaders. All right, we better get to it then. I need you back in four instead of 12. I got half a career coming in. I can't. You know what your problem is? I can think of a couple of women be happy to tell you. 8.30? We said 8 o'clock. Hello, Dad. Hello, Rachel. We'll be back by 9.30 on Sunday. Mom says you got a report due on Monday. What do you know, right? Everything. Rachel, want to see something cool? He hid right behind our house. Lightning doesn't strike twice. You believe this, Ray? Every single car. Oh, I've never seen that many strikes of lightning close. in one spot. You hear that? There's something down there, and it's moving. 
leaving this house in 60 seconds. Dad, suitcase. Dad, it's really scary. Bring it to me, okay? Why? I just didn't do it. Tell me what you saw. Whose car is this? Ray, where are you going? What are you doing? Get in, Manny. Get out of the truck. I'm not kidding, Ray. Get in, Manny, or you're gonna die. Like I said, it's kind of whack to think about how long the story has been with us. Yeah, the original story was written in 18-whatever-the-hell. It's been with us for 125 years. Holy cannoli. 1897 is the first time the novel The War of the Worlds is published by a British author called H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells is kind of the blueprint for modern science fiction. A little bit. You know, H.G. Wells is also notable for authoring The Time Machine, <laughs> uh, The Invisible Man. Yes! So, like, some pretty big stories that are built on throughout your film viewing and media consuming lexicon. Definitely, H.G. Wells is a huge inspiration for Asimov. Uh, Mm -hmm. Ray Bradbury, you know, and it's kind of hard to think about how in 1897, we don't even have airplanes yet. And he's conceiving of these aliens from other planets coming down in these metal ships and destroying the planet. So the novel from 1897 follows an unnamed... Uh, protagonist. We never get his name. Wow, really? Yeah. And I think that was one of the most interesting things when I first read the book. I was like, we never do learn this guy's name, do we? It's about this gentleman that lives in the south of England. He lives in Surrey, where Harry Potter lives. (laughs) Your (laughs) sons drove that enchanted car (laughs) to Surrey and back last night. And basically it's about how this gigantic cylinder lands in the middle of Surrey one night and it just starts fucking shit up. And in the scientific community at the time, there's all these observances on the surface of the planet Mars. So we're dealing with the first notion of Martian life here. And the way that Wells goes about describing the science behind everything, he did a lot of research into exactly how these extraterrestrial life forms could potentially fuck up our shit in a really bad way. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a great novel. And of course, moving on 40 years later, you have the infamous radio adaptation of The War of the Worlds by Orson Welles. Oh, God. No relation to H.G. Wells. (laughs) No! Um, You know, not a lot of people actually listened to the 1938 broadcast of War of the Worlds. I know. You'd think. You'd think there would have been a huge listenership for the impact that it's had on entertainment. Yeah, I have a very confused look on my face over here. And there's a lot of, you know, stories about the panic that Orson Welles supposedly caused, all from the, you know, Columbia Radio Theater. Like, (laughs) I think the worst thing that happened, there was like this Midwestern town and the mayor got on the phone with Orson Welles and was like, do you understand what the hell you've done to my town? (laughs) There are men with guns in the street. <laughs> and Orson Welles is like, we literally said at the top that it's a fiction. But here's the thing. If you tune into the radio station in the middle of the program, you've missed that announcement. And, it, you know, they do it like a real radio broadcast, like, you know. If I was a dumb person in the 30s who didn't know my ass from my radio, like, I honestly would have believed it. What I can see of the object itself doesn't look very much like a meteor. At least not the meteors I've seen. It looks more like a huge cylinder. Has a diameter of, um, um, what would you say, Professor Pearson? What's that? 
Uh, what would you say? Uh, what's the diameter of this? About 30 yards. About 30 yards. The metal on the sheath is, well, I've never seen anything like it. The color is sort of yellowish-white. It's curious... Spectators now are pressing close to the object in spite of the efforts of the police to keep them back. Uh, getting in front of my line of vision. Uh, uh, would you mind standing one side, please? It's kind of weird to think about, you know, no, it's not really weird to think about the talking box that's just spewing information at you Ooh. because we carry them around in our pockets every day. You're not wrong. But, you know, and then obviously you have the 1953 film starring Ann Robertson and Gene Barry. I remember that like it was yesterday. Uh-huh. Watching it with dad on the couch. Ouch. Exactly. That friggin' scene where the preacher is gonna go make contact with the aliens, and Dad's yelling at the screen, don't go, man! Mm-hmm. Don't go, you're gonna get vaporized! And the rest is history. Yeah. And then, of course, you have the 2005 remake of the 1953 film based on the radio broadcast based on the novel. <laughs> <laughs> When I tell you people he's doing this with no notes, like, oh my gosh. So, you know, I think every different incarnation of this story comes at a time of turmoil in human history. I mean, yeah. I mean, with the approach of the 20th century in the late 1890s, you know, everybody kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of how people thought about the American West when nobody had been out west mm. past the Mississippi. People thought that there were unicorns out there, <laughs> mountains of sugar, and little people that ran that ran around on little ponies. Like, like who knows what's around the corner in the new century? So people were kind of terrified of 1900. The radio program comes out near the end of the Great Depression, but right before World War II. And then, you know, you have the film. That comes right at the end of the post-World War II Austin. And then you have the 05 version, which comes out in the throes of American meddling in the Middle East. Absolutely. And I think it's always a good time to tell the story in those times of immense turmoil. And here we are, mid-pandemic, talking about it. So I think everything lines up pretty well. I can't believe how relevant this is going to end up being to a pandemic. Exactly. <laughs> like, for God's sake! Exactly. And yeah, I understand the criticisms of this story. It does kind of peter out, you know. Oh, big time. Sometimes, but like, that's the thing. Sometimes the most eloquent way to wrap things up is, you know, kind of just by letting it peter out, you know? Uh, like, you want to tell a story and you don't have a very creative way to end it. So, yeah. We've talked about an alien film before where there are three big scenarios for how an alien film ends. We destroy part of their technology, they die out for no reason, or they succumb to our planet's nature, you know? Yeah. And, you know, obviously we will be hitting one of those nails on the head in this story. Um... I remember summer 2005 when this came out because Carrie Ann and I would always go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina with our family every summer. And we were hanging out with our Aunt Missy for a couple of days and she was going to take us to the movies. Mm-hmm. And that was always a treat with Aunt Miss was going to the movies anytime we were down there in the it was, summer. It was always great because Aunt Miss has like this great big like cacophonous laugh. Yes. And yes. so it's always fun to be in a movie theater with her. And let her radiate, you know, yeah. and have everybody react to her. She's like, an oozer like I am. Yes, she is. <laughs> yes, she is. I remember her saying, oh, you know, that looks really cool. And I was really excited about it because I was really into the movie Signs. At the time. And you'll see why I'm happy about that later this month. God. I know. And <laughs> were you nine years old when this came out? Uh, yes. Yes. I was nine about. To, well, actually, I was eight mm. about to be nine. You're right. And I was like, please take us to see War of the Worlds. Oh, my God. Please, 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 please. And she was like, all right. All right. We'll go see War of the Worlds. And I can remember 
just how much it surpassed my expectations at that age. And your nine-year-old expectations. Yeah, it was so <laughs> cool. And I I was so pleased. And I remember how shocked and horrified Aunt Missy was because she did not think it was going to be as rough as it was. <laughs> she probably thought it was going to be like Independence Day. Or something, like, you know. Just a little more fun than horrifying. I mean, Independence Day is a little, is pretty rough. But like, you know. Oh, I don't know. It's not so in your face rough. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're mostly able to maintain, not in this film. Yeah. We struggle in this film. Independence Day is about how the big people deal with an alien invasion, like the, the president and the scientists yes. and the military. This is about everyday people in an alien invasion. Exactly. All right, folks, you might have guessed it, but we've got names. Yes, we do. Playing Ray Ferrier, our hero today, we have Tom Cruise. Hardly a hero. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> You're going to learn very quickly, folks, that we are not fans of Ray. No, or Tom Cruise. Or Tom Cruise. You think he'd be running towards the aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Given that he's the grand poobah of Scientology. When it, when's the last time they had an election for Grand Poobah of Scientology? I don't know, man, or but... What, what is his name, the actual Grand Poobah? David Miscarriage. David Miscarriage, yes. Yeah, who Tom Cruise says he would trust with his life. What a dangerously insane human being. We know him from Top Gun, yeah. Risky Business, uh, Rain Man, uh, Jerry Maguire. Cocktail. Oh, yeah, Cocktail. Interview with a vampire, Eyes Wide Shut. He had the 80s and 90s on lock. Oh, he's in The Outsiders. Yes. He's in that movie, All the Right Moves, where if you pause it just right, you can see his wang. Oh, yeah. And every girl from the 80s was <laughs> wild about that. <laughs> Playing Robbie Ferrier today, we have Justin Chatwin. Hey, Justin. What's up? And Ross, I I had a revelation today when I was taking my notes. Yeah, you didn't quite realize who he was, did you? No, when we were watching it, I'm like, he's so familiar. What am I thinking of? Y'all, he is Jimmy from Shameless. He's Jimmy Steve. (laughs) Jimmy slash Steve. Jimmy slash Steve. From Shameless. Oh, my God. He peters out on that show, too. (laughs) He was in the really bad live-action Dragon Ball Z movie <gasps> starring right. white people. Yes, he was Goku. With Emmy Rossum yeah. from oh. Shameless. Oh, my God. Yes, yes. Oh, barf. Oh, my goodness. Playing Rachel Ferrier today, we have Dakota Fanning. Uh-huh, uh-huh. She was the uh, child star of Uptown Girls, yeah. Cat in the Hat, yeah. Charlotte's Web, and I always forget she's in the Twilight Saga. She is. She's one of them Valtteri people, isn't she? I believe so. One of the regal vampires from the Italy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she can, like, make you feel pain just by staring into your eyes or something. Dakota Fanning or the Volteri character? <laughs> Both. <laughs> no. Both. I, I love Dakota Fanning. Both her and her sister have have these great, big, expressive eyes. Yes, yes. They're great. Ooh, hide-and-seek. Oh, oh my God! Forgot to mention hide-and-seek. We've got to cover that movie. With Robert De Niro. Yeah, oh my God. Tra- oh. Trauma. I know. The, 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 oh, the, the, the fear. Yeah. I'm sorry. Anyway, moving on. Playing the former Mrs. Farrier today, <laughs> we have Miranda Otto, who you will undoubtedly recognize as Eowyn from the LOTR franchise. Absolutely. I am no man. Oh my god, she rips that helmet off. I am no man. Best moment in a movie ever. You ever just go off and murder the Witch King of Angmar? Woo! Get it, babe. 
Playing Harlan Ogilvy today, we have Tim Robbins. He was the star of Shawshank Redemption. He was in Top Gun with Tom Cruise. And he also played the senator in Green Lantern. And he reunites with Morgan Freeman. Not really. (laughs) Not really. Not on screen. But they're both in this film. Yes, they sure are. Wait, is Shawshank a Spielberg? That is a Frank Darabont film. Oh, okay. Well, still. We have some pretty interesting cameos here, too. Some honorable mentions. Yeah, speaking of Morgan Freeman, he's our narrator today. Yeah, he's at the beginning and the end. It's a Morgan Freeman sandwich. Yeah, no, I need I need a price point on how much it costs for Morgan Freeman to record, like, 15 lines of dialogue. Probably insane. <laughs> yeah. It's probably insane. We also have Amy Ryan of Office fame. Yes, she's here for 30 seconds. She's but... playing Ray's neighbor. Uh-huh. And then uh, Dee Bradley Baker, our famous uh, voice actor. Yeah, Dee Bradley Baker's probably been in more of the projects that we've done than we know. I know. Like, he is literally speckled all throughout your consumption lexicon. And he's making the alien noises. Of course he is. And doing a flawless job at it. That man can make any sound. Absolutely. I'm convinced. (laughs) We also have Camilla Sanz, or Sanz, not sure how you say that. She's playing the reporter this week. Lisa Ann Walter as Cheryl. She's the nanny from The Parent Trap. She's Jessie. Yes, the, 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 the nanny that notices immediately that this is the wrong child. This is not the time for this, but Jessie is a lesbian and Nigel is gay, <laughs> but they're a hag couple. Yes. And I, I love it. I love it. We also have Gene Barry and Anne Robinson with us. From the 1953 film production of The War of the Worlds. Yeah, they have a couple of no-line parts as the grandparents at the very end of the movie. Don't spoil it. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Anyways. And there are a bunch of minor characters here that are straight out of New York City central casting. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. You've seen these faces on SVU. Oh, absolutely. If it's Law and Order, if if it's New York acting, it's Law and Order. Absolutely. This film made $450 million. <laughs> People love a Spielberg, man. They do. and there, But there was a lot of heavy criticism of the film, but it's, it's still made bank, baby. Mm-hmm. I gotta admit, I, I can't really remember what some of these scenes were like in the theater, but I imagine it was thrilling. No, I, get, I just, the, my heart was pounding through most of the film. Yeah. I can remember that like it was yesterday. Oh my God. And how dark the theater was and the jump scares and Missy would scream. And <laughs> like, it was it was so good as a kid, as an eight-year-old, you know? Yeah. And I'm so glad I'm revisiting it with my 2020 vision. Oh my God. We should probably get started then, huh? We really should. We really should. Obviously, we have this very famous prologue for this story that is in, that is included in every incarnation of the project. No one would have believed in the early years of the 21st century that our world was being watched by intelligences greater than our own. That as men busied themselves about their various concerns, they observed and studied. Morgan Freeman is here to tell us that the truth of the world is that we're all just amoebas under an alien's <laughs> microscope. So it kind of gives you this, you know, just like, hey, we don't really know what we know, do we? Mm-mm. Something could be out there watching over us. Yeah. And we have no idea. And as we go through this, we will figure out just how long and just how hard these beings have worked to take us over. And how oblivious we've been. I know. 
I mean, like I said, we cover in stuff we've covered that it's you know science fictiony like this before. A lot of the times with a great science fiction project like this, it is a huge warning. Whether it's plausible or not, still encouraging us to look ahead of ourselves. Yet, across the gulf of space, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic regarded our planet with envious eyes. And slowly and surely drew their plans against us. Oh God, we're in Jersey. Yeah, I literally wrote. Now we in Jersey. Jersey. I love that you. I love that you've spelled it out here. <laughs> Jersey. We meet Ray Farrier, our main character. I love, by the way, that his last name is Farrier because he's literally ferrying these kids through this whole narrative. You're right. You're right. Absolutely. Ray is a crane operator for a shipping container yard that's off the Hudson River. It's most likely Port Authority. Yeah. It's the port of New York and New Jersey. He just, he moves the big shipping containers around. He sits in a very big crane that has a glass bottom floor. Terrifying. He can do 40 of them in 60 minutes. That's crazy. Crazy. I know that's cocaine <laughs> is what that is. I'm not convinced that it's not. I'm not a huge fan of Ray at all. And we won't be for the remainder of the film. I need you back in four instead of 12. I got half a career coming uh, in. No, 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 I can't. I'm on a 12-hour blow. Call Tedesco. Tedesco can't move 40 containers in an hour. Come on, I'm in a position here, right? You remember the union regulations, Sal? You know what your problem is? I can think of a couple of women would be happy to tell you. For starters, he's a bad driver. Very bad. He's got that muscle car. I couldn't tell you what kind of car it is, but it's black and it's got a custom paint job. He's straight jersey. Oh like, my God. He likes his buddies, his booze, his car, you know, but like, guess what? He's, he's got kids. He's a uh, kind of a deadbeat dad, to be quite honest. He's habitually late. He never calls. And, like, his kids are coming to visit him for the for the holiday? For, or? The, for the weekend. For the weekend, while his ex-wife and her new beau are, in, are with her mother and father. It's not quite apparent at the beginning here, but the time of year we're in is, I think, maybe October, November. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in there, because it will eventually snow. Yeah. And this is all happening. This, this whole, whole tour affair happens over the course of like three days. I know. Kind of like Independence Day. Yeah. You know? And Eowyn from The Lord of the Rings is here with her new husband, Tim. <laughs> His ex-wife is Eowyn, the murderess of the Witch King of Angmar. 8.30? Did we say that? We said 8 o'clock. Oh. 8 o'clock, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll be back by 9.30 on Sunday, depending on the traffic. And she's pregnant with Tim's baby. Like, she's getting another family started over there. Tim's a fine-looking man. I, I, he is. He's my type. She honestly traded up, if, it, I, if I'm being totally honest. She really did. She knew the situation she was in, and she said, I'm not going to be Newark, New Jersey anymore. I'm going to go be Princeton, New Jersey. Yeah, you know that Ray was just a total child throughout their marriage. Probably. Probably, like, yeah. never took any of the responsibility or anything. He's got a 16-year-old, his eldest... Robbie. I love Robbie. This is Justin Chatwin. Robbie won't even talk to him when he gets out of the car. Oh, Robbie is doing the full surly teenager impression. He, music blaring in his ears. Won't even say hello to his father. And then he has a 10-year-old daughter. This is Dakota Fanning. Her name is Rachel. Rachel. 
Her name is Rachel. Rachel is such an anxious little child. I love her so much. And like most Dakota Fanning roles, she's a little adult. Yeah, like every movie Dakota Fanning is in, she is just, she is the smartest person in the room. She's Matilda-esque. That is very apt. You know what I mean? Yes. Mm -hmm. And like, I love how Mary, I think her name's Mary, the mother. Marianne. Mm -hmm. Marianne. I love how Marianne's first prerogative is going into that house and checking out the environment. (laughs) Here, let me get it. No, you don't have to go inside. Let me get it. You're fine. She she doesn't want, he doesn't want her to go in the house. She's looking around. He's got nothing in his kitchen. He's got an engine block sitting on his table. (laughs) There's trash and bits and bobs strewn everywhere. Spoiled milk in the fridge. Oh my God. And he just, he cannot stand that she is in his space right now. Like her lack of faith in him is warranted. He didn't buy milk knowing full well his kids were coming. Exactly. Exactly. And like, (laughs) so she reluctantly leaves them with him and we get this very awkward introduction to their whole family dynamic. Indeed. This scene where Ray is forcing Robbie to play catch with him and it's so tense because Robbie will not call him dad. Yeah, Robbie calls him Ray. And I'm like, that's that's dysfunction right there. And like, they are just having this passive aggressive conversation. Back and forth. Mom says you got a report due on Monday, so you're gonna work on that when done here. Yeah, I'm almost finished. I just gotta type it up. Yeah, bullshit. Just do your report. We don't send you to school so you can flunk out. You don't pay for it, Tim does. That's half what I got. You're an asshole. Hate coming here. Why you act like such a dick? He broke his own window. I'm howling. Just the way he just doesn't catch it. (laughs) Boom. Robbie lets that ball go flying past his ear and it smashes the window. Don't be such a fucking asshat, Ray. Like, come on. Like, listen, when I watched this as a child, I always thought, you know, he is kind of a dick kid, you know? I wouldn't want to behave like that in front of my father. And then, you know, watching it now, I'm like, yeah, no, Robbie is totally justified in every single one of his feelings towards Ray. He doesn't pay attention to them. (laughs) And after Robbie just walks in, after Ray busts the window and the way Ray looks at Rachel, she's a little therapist. Not how you're going to get through to him. If you want him to listen to you, you What are you, your mother or mine? Uh... He decides he's going in to take a nap. He's been working all night. He's going to sleep. And she's like, what are we supposed to eat? And he goes, order something. I don't give a shit. He just tells the 10-year-old to order takeout. Cut to the 10-year-old watching SpongeBob, eating her food from the health food place. She's eating hummus and pita bread. And it's like, listen, that's good stuff. It's just not the first thing you would expect a 10-year-old to order. No, no, I love it when he takes a bite of her food and he goes, What is that? Hummus. Hummus? From the health food place. You said order. I meant order food. Where is Robbie? He went out. Out where? I don't know. He just took your car and left. (laughs) He just took your car and left. Robbie's been here (laughs) 10 minutes and he's already causing problems. I I love the joy she takes in telling him that. (laughs) 
I, d- I, I love that so much. <laughs> she knew that this whole time and didn't mention it once. He goes out to look for Robbie and the car, and there is like a cloud bank with a weird light in the middle of it forming over Jersey. It's a very Captain Hillard going out to get the paper moment. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> when from- Will Smith walks out in front of his house and sees that spaceship over Los Angeles. <laughs> why? That's why. <laughs> And yeah, everybody is out in front of his house looking up behind his house. And you're right. There is this gigantic, menacing looking cloud bank. Like the wind is starting to pick up, right? It's blowing towards the storm, though. They run into the backyard. And yeah, that's where he makes the observation that all of this wind is blowing towards the storm. And his his neighbor is Amy Ryan. What's her name? Holly. Holly Flax. Yeah. His neighbor's Holly Flax. And she's got a little baby. And it makes me really sad to think about that mother and that baby. Yeah. Given everything that comes after. And he calls Rachel out back. And they're looking at it. And then all of a sudden, the wind just dies down. Oh, the silence that follows this wind and then you could hear a pin drop in Pennsylvania and then the lightning no come on at the 4th of July what is this sound effect that's what I want to know. It's just like a shoom. Makes me think about the radio program and all the cool sound effects they had to engineer for that. Like, is this, this sounds like, it sounds like a fucking whip. You know what I mean? It's so intense that it drives both the adult and the child inside and under the dining room table. <laughs> like, he's that scared. And she goes, it hit right behind our house. And he goes, well, it's not going to hit there again. <laughs> because lightning doesn't strike twice in the same, oh shit! <laughs> it's not going to hit there again. Okay, because lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place. Shit! Robbie, okay? Are you okay? Where's the thunder? Several more times, lightning bams, bams, bams. And there's no thunder. When he's like, where the fuck is the thunder? <laughs> What's going on? And then everything just stops. When it's over, they've got no power, no phone, his Nokia cell won't turn on, and his watch has stopped. I know. It's fucking insane. And then he goes outside, and everyone is in the street, and his neighbor lady, Holly Flax. believe this, Ray? Every single car. Nobody's car will run. Yeah. No car is moving. He walks a little bit down the street and here comes fucking Robbie wandering up to him. And he's, I, you know, he has a deadbeat dad, but his first concern is, is he okay? Yeah. You know, and he's like, listen, I was over on Lincoln Avenue and it, lightning was striking in the same place in the street over and over again, 26 times. Ray goes to the center of town where all the lightning hit and everyone's gathering around looking at it. And Ray picks up a piece of broken asphalt And you would think it would be warm, right? Is it hot? It's freezing. And then you feel the thunder from down under. (laughs) I just, I love the the Jersey cops that are like, what the hell is down there moving? The water main doesn't run through here. (laughs) Well, something's down there and it's moving. And then the ground begins to crack apart from the opening in the intersection. The hole is opening up. And everybody's just backing up. No one is McReady. No. Like, everyone's just, like, slowly backing up. Like, of course, because, you know, being New Jerseyans, they're probably like, ah, I've seen worse, you know? (laughs) 
and they're just like slowly backing up and then it starts to get real. Like for 2005, this looks sick. I know, they did a really good job. It starts to crack up the side of buildings on the corners of the intersection and then everybody gets out of the intersection. We're on the edges. You know what my favorite part is? What? That SUV. That falls into the hole. It falls into the hole and you think it's gone and then 10 seconds later, it's getting launched out of there like a matchbox car. (laughs) This gigantic mechanical tripoded foot stepping out of the hole. It crushes a car right next to Ray. And everybody's just standing there watching as this machine rises slowly out of the hole in the intersection. And it's powering up. And I'm like, why isn't and anybody running? There's dirt falling off of it. and Like the fucking groaning noise it's making? Like, it, get back, we're gonna get something on us! Exactly. It's halfway out of the hole. That's when everyone decides to start running. I feel really bad for the guys on the scissor lift. Oh, because the power's out and they can't come down? No. Yeah. Oh, God. They're sitting ducks. And then the look of this machine. It's almost like a creature itself. It's giving us a little bit of insight into what these life forms look like. And this is so exquisitely different from how it happens in every other incarnation of the story. How so? Because in the book, this gigantic cylinder falls out of the sky, right? And smolders in a field for half a day before the aliens actually come out of it first. Oh. And the aliens come out, look around. Their bodies can't adjust to the gravity Mm -hmm. or the Earth's atmosphere. So they go back in and hide. And then they wait until midnight to come out and start fucking shit up. But in this instance, the ships started out underground. Yeah. And that's why it's so... I always thought that was like such a weird decision, but like it's fun. It's different. You know, it keeps you thinking. They've been here the whole time. And then it gets real quiet. Everyone stops running. They're just staring at it. And then it just makes this absolutely otherworldly noise. It starts powering up again. Oh boy! These two little arms, positively T-Rex arms, (laughs) come out from either side of it. And the music's just building and building and then... The vaporizing starts. Oh, boy. I love the shot of that guy holding the camera. Oh, no. Filming it, and then he just gets vaporized, and he drops the camera. And you can see in the camera screen people getting vaporized in it. (laughs) These people are just turning to dust spontaneously. You know what I can't handle? What? I can't handle, because Ray's running like fuck, too. And the woman in front of him gets vaporized, and Ray runs through her with his mouth open. They're all running through each other. Oh, my God. They're they're getting each other all over themselves. Ooh, it's so horrible. This thing destroys several city blocks. Literally just blows whole blocks away with a single shot. And 
he miraculously gets out of the neighborhood, gets back to the house. I love that the kids are unaware of what's happening at this point, despite the fact you can see what happened from the backyard. You can't see the full extent of what's happening from the backyard. I guess. And, like, he comes in, and they're like, what happened? And he's he's dead silent. He's too traumatized to speak. He's just been through something horrific. He washes himself off real quick in the real quick in the sink, and then he goes, okay, we're leaving this house in 60 seconds. He grabs a cardboard box, gives it to Robbie, and says, fill this with food, whatever you can find. So they take off out of the house. Ray's got a friend, Manny. He runs an auto shop. Oh, Manny. He's just finished fixing the starter to this 1990-whatever-the-hell Dodge Voyager. Yeah, like, since the lightning started happening. So after all the cars went dead, he's fixed this van. And they're walking to, like, the kids are so freaked out. They're walking through the streets. People are running, screaming. He goes up to that van, gets in it, and Manny's like, huh, Ray? Huh, hey, Ray? <laughs> hey, that guy's going to come back looking for this car, and I need it. And him and Manny are having this back and forth, and it's really scaring the kids. Because Ray is, like, at a 11 and Manny is not. He's gonna come back. He's not gonna uh, Manny, come. Manny, Manny, I don't have time to explain. He's busting my chops here. I got a shop to run. You know how many people's cars? No, Ray, get out of the get car. Get in, Manny, or you're gonna die. <gasps> okay. I'm not gonna get in. I'm not gonna get in. I'm not fooling around. I got Close a busy day ahead of me. Close it. Ray's just like, fuck it. We gotta go. Sorry, Manny. Bye bye. And then they're driving away, and in the rearview mirror, objects are closer than they appear. Manny gets vaporized. Oh, it's so sad. This is one of my favorite shots in the film. They're speeding away from his street, and you see these vapor jets come behind them, and it blows the entirety of the interstate off of its columns and crashes down onto all of their houses. This is a very well shot sequence where they're tearing out of Newark and they get on the interstate and they start, you know, rushing. Everyone is like on the interstate, abandoning their cars, running, and he's the only car that's working. And I'm like, haha, sure. Them darting in between all these cars. There's a perfect path. You know, and, and you know, Rachel's having a panic attack and you're right. Ray is too freaked out. He has to focus on the road. And so Robbie goes into big brother mode. Oh, he springs right into action. He's like, all right, Rachel, put up your arms. Okay, put them up, Rachel. Make the arms. This space, <laughs> this is yours. This belongs to you, right? Yeah. You're safe in your space. space. You're safe in your space. Nothing can happen to you in this space. Okay, I'm going to go to the front seat. I'm going to talk to dad. No. I'm like two feet away, Okay. okay. Are you hold my hand? Yes. Are you hold my head? Yes. You gonna be okay? Yes. Robbie is the best big brother. <laughs> he turns around and goes, okay, you have to tell me everything you know. And Ray tells him, hey, there was this machine. It crawled out of the ground, started killing everybody, started blowing everything up. What is it? Is it terrorists? This, this came from someplace else. What do you mean, like Europe? No, Robbie, not like Europe. <laughs> <laughs> no, Robbie, not like Europe. Oh, poor this Robbie. This is a little more alien than Europe. And, like, both of the kids are screaming for Ray to take them to their mother. They do not want to be in his care. Because they, they, they know they're fucked. They know that he has no idea how to take care of them. 
Like, they're not going to survive. So what does Ray do, in Ray-like fashion, drives them to their house where they live with their mother? And, like, Mom and Tim are obviously not home. They're, they, they're gone to Boston. They went to Boston. and But the lights are on here. It's quiet here. Obviously, trouble has not arrived yet. And we have to watch this painful scene where Ray takes the kids inside, and he's like, all right, we're just going to hunker down. Uh, I'll make some food. Where's some food? And he gets out bread and peanut butter, starts spooning the peanut butter onto the bread. Teach you how to play some poker. A little five-card stud, maybe a little blackjack. I'm allergic to peanut butter. <laughs> Since when? Birth. I love her so much. Pathetic. He doesn't know she's allergic to peanut butter. I'm not hungry. Robbie and I can be eating peanut butter sandwiches. Want jelly on this sandwich? I'm not hungry either. You're not hungry either? Okay. Okay, that's fine. Slams that peanut buttered bread on the window. And I mean, like, listen, I get it. Oh, no, I do, too. He lost everything today. We, we've been tough on Ray, but... He literally lost everything today. His entire house was destroyed. You know, his friends were killed. I get it. He, re- he literally watched people be vaporized. Exactly. And so they just, they hunker down. They go down to the basement. It's a nice basement. It is a nice basement. It's one of those basements that's the whole length of the house. Yeah, and... it's the nicest basement we see in this movie. It's basically another house, <laughs> you know? And, like, they are all down there, and Ray is watching them while they sleep, keeping watch. And sure enough, in the middle of the night, it starts all over again. Is the lightning back? No, this is something else. And then it just ramps up hardcore. This sound like no one's ever heard before comes all around them. Everything starts vibrating and shaking. And then flames burst through the basement windows. Oh, my God. They have to get into the side room where all the pipes are in order to get away from everything. I love Ray. Robbie, this is your house. Where the (laughs) fuck do we go? (laughs) And then they shut that door in darkness. And then it cuts to black, and you just hear Rachel go, Are we still alive? so bad for Rachel. She's so anxious to begin with, and her little life has been rocked. So at daylight, kids are asleep. Ray's like, okay, I gotta go check the surface. He opens up that door. The The basement is charred. Mm-hmm. Somehow, thankfully, that staircase is still intact. He, he walks up that staircase, opens the door to the rest of the house, but there's no house. There's no more house. There's actually a turbine engine in the living room. What has happened is whatever these things are have shot all these airliners out of the sky just Boeing 747s laying everywhere their entire neighborhood is destroyed and in flames in tatters fun fact this set is actually still intact on a Universal Studio which is just crazy to me yeah like oh my god it's 16 years (laughs) we still have this set intact what's going on for War of the Worlds there's this guy trying to drag this food cart off of one of the planes. And he's like, were you on this plane? (laughs) Are you a passenger? And he throws that cart down and goes, hey, how you doing? Want to help me open this? Are you a passenger? He's deaf. Michelle went off right beside him. Camera on his shoulder saved his life. You hear that, Max? 
Your stupid camera saved your stupid life. They're reporters. Yeah. Like, she's the report. She's, like, the actual anchor, and then, like, he is the cameraman. CBS. Columbia. Ah, yes! Like the radio show. Hey! Yeah. That's great. And I love how she basically tells him that they were attached to a National Guard unit and that they've seen these things up close. She tells him that they these things have shields around them. And, you know, he's like, there's more than one? And she's like, oh, honey, come. Come to the van. <laughs> Let's go to the video I, tape. I have tape. She puts in one of those tapes and there's just tens of these things walking around these cities. She's like, Haha, Chicago, L.A., New York, London. It's all over the world, baby. Oh, my God. When she shows him the slow motion replay of the lightning striking the ground. Yeah. Those machines come up from under the ground, right? So that means they must have been buried here a long time ago. So who's driving the goddamn things? Watch the lightning. Watch it. Watch the lightning. Keep watching the lightning. That is them. The aliens are riding the lightning bolts into the ground. Which is just a sick concept. To get into the ships. Like, come on, Jerry, we're gonna ride the lightning down into the pods. And they're I just I I like to think of the aliens like, well, we buried those things there like a million years ago, so like, (laughs) what are we Well, here's what I'm thinking. What about the ships that are buried under concrete like that? Or like steel? What if they're buried under skyscrapers? Do they just come up in the middle of the building? Yes. I guess. I I guess that's how it would be. They destroyed that church because it was built over top of it. You're right. But the thing is, they were able to rotate the earth for it to come out properly. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. And then we hear the noise again. Uh-oh, that means trouble. <laughs> I love how they're closing up the van and she goes, wait, were you on that plane? And he goes, no. And she was like, oh, that's too bad. Would have been a really great story. And I'm like, God, really? Fucking reporters. In the middle of a war? <laughs> Anyways. So they get back on the road in the stolen van and he's going to take them to Boston so they can be with their mother. And, oh, God. This scene is horrible. When the kids get out to pee... And there's this army convoy coming by, and Robbie is trying to flag him down. He's like, wait, please, take me with you. I don't know this man. (laughs) He's trying to hitch a ride with the army. He'd rather join the army than be with Ray. This is a rough sequence. Oh, yeah, because this is one of those movies where the teenager has his parents' number... Like, from beginning to end, Mm -hmm. and that leads to some big oof moments. You only chose Boston because you hope Mom's there, and if she's there, you can dump us on her. You can dump us on her, and then you only have to care about yourself, which is exactly the way you like it. Robbie! Where are you trying to go? What are you trying to do? Who can take care of me if you go? Rachel is giving Robbie the business for even trying to leave. She's like, who's going to take care of me if you go? Oh, how sad. I mean, it. whenever she's scared, she runs to Robbie, not Ray. Exactly. She knows Robbie's going to take care of her. Ray has never taken care of her. And it's just, that's so friggin' sad to me. In that situation, your parent is supposed to be the one person you can count on. Indeed. They're back in the van. Their plan is to follow the turnpike all the way to where they can get the ferry on the Hudson River, go across the rest of New York, Connecticut, and all the way to Boston. They're trying to get on this ferry crossing the Hudson, and they're driving through 
all of these crowds of displaced people who are also walking towards the ferry. And don't have vehicles like they do. Yeah, this part is... Stop cleaning your kitchens, pull over, Like it's about to get rough. This part is pretty terrifying considering there's no aliens in it. I forgot just how rough this was. No, that's what I'm saying, bud. I was coming into this recording, getting ready to trash this movie for all it's worth, and I think it's because the only parts of it that I hadn't blocked out were the Tom Cruise parts. Exactly. And so, yeah. So, yeah, they're walking through all these people, and the people are starting to get wise. Hey, That car is moving. Yeah. We need them. And so people are banging on the windows, shaking the car back and forth. Are you okay? They pull Robbie and Ray out of the car. Yep. And so poor little Rachel is back there just terrified. And there are now like 20 other people trying to get into the car. And Ray finds his gun and shoots in the air. Get For an American, he took his sweet time pulling out that gun. I know it, I know it. He fires that gun into the air and people like back off <laughs> and for they're a like, second. Oh, oh shit, okay, sure. But he's not the only one who's armed. Because this is America. Yeah. Down the gun, I'm taking the car. It's not a conversation. No, it's not. Put down the gun, I'm Freeze. taking a car, man. Oh, I want Put down a goddamn gun! Where's my daughter? I'm taking a car. Please, just hold my daughter. Please, let me just take my daughter. All I want is my daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Take it. Take it. Yeah, yeah. He gets Rachel out of the car. They hide inside this diner. And you can see through the window outside that this other guy took Ray's gun and shot the guy who drove away in the car. Oh, my God. These people are just shooting each other one after another for control of this vehicle. And that's when Ray loses his composure. Yeah, that's this is where Ray finally breaks down in tears. And I just... Because their, their only means of getting anywhere quickly is gone. So we finally have made it into a little place called Athens in New York. It's a, it's a Hudson River town. And they're going to try and get the Athens ferry across. And they're walking with all these poor people. Everything seems pretty calm. People are discussing, you know, certain narratives that they've heard about how the war's going in other places. And, like, the Port Authority seems to have, like, a handle on things. Like, don't run. There's plenty of room on the ferry. We're going to get you all out of here safely. (laughs) That woman on the megaphone, we already have more than enough blood. We couldn't possibly (laughs) take any more. I'm glad people are being, you know, generous. We're like Vlad Dracul up in here, okay? (laughs) And that ominous stereo, these huge speakers playing that Tony Bennett song. If I ruled the world, every day would be the first day of spring. Like, I feel like these are the moments, like, as the Titanic was going down, they had the band playing to keep people calm. And so they continue running, and this is where we encounter one of Ray's friends, Cheryl. Cheryl and her daughter. And like, it's just, you're glad that they've seen a familiar face and everything. Yes, yes. But don't get used to Cheryl, y'all. No, she will be here for a very short amount of time. We're waiting patiently to get on the ferry. And like Rachel, little Rachel, so tiny in the middle of everybody and everything, notices the birds flying in the opposite direction. And she's following the birds and they go over the horizon and she can see trees moving in the distance. (laughs) And then you just hear this big bang from behind and you see 
there is a tripod looking over everybody and everything. And that's when the humans do what humans do best. They panic. (laughs) Now would be the appropriate time to panic. gets so nuts so fast. Everybody rushes the ferry. The Port Authority is like, take the ramp up, take the ramp up. We gotta get the hell out of here. Yes, yes. People are hanging on to the to the ramp, trying to get over, trying to live. Yeah. Like when Tommy on the Titanic is like, for the God's sakes, would you give us a chance to live, Ex- man? Exactly, and exactly. People are pushing each other off the pier. It's the breakdown in humanity for me. Yeah, it's really awful to watch. That makes it so devastating. People turning to their basic survival instincts just to have a chance to live. Oh my God, Robbie decides to be a hero. Yes, he's helping people who are hanging off the back to come to clamber on. And yeah, they get separated from Cheryl and she gets stuck behind. Oh, poor Cheryl. And her daughter will die, she will die. All these people that are getting left behind will die. The people on the ferry think they're lucky. You're right. But tell me why they're not. Okay, so the fairy gets gone away, right? They miraculously made it on. (laughs) And we get this shot from the wheelhouse where the skipper, or whatever you call the (laughs) captain of a fairy, the captain, he sees this um, gigantic whirlpool (laughs) forming in the middle of the Hudson River. God damn it. And he looks out his window and he's just like, oh my god. It reminds me of the, oh crap, (laughs) moment from Harvey Firestein in Independence Day. And, of course, a tripod looking like a jelly goddamn fish pops up out of the Hudson River, turns that entire ferry over. People, vehicles, and all. Oh, my God. There is no reason that the farriers should have survived this. No. No. They literally got hit by a car on the way into the water and got pushed very far down. So they swim to shore and start ducking the tripods. They get... Onto the other side of the shore, right? Miraculously. I'm like, first of all, I get it. It's a movie. They have to survive, right? And we get this really great shot of everyone on the other side of the river. And the tripods are coming over the hills. And everyone's getting vaporized. It's just really horrible. And this is also the first time we notice that people are getting picked up from the ground, too. Yeah, not everybody's getting vaporized. And people are getting picked out of the water. Ugh. And then they're running away through the woods... And all of these empty articles of clothing start raining from the sky. Did you see the cold chill I just got? Yeah, it's a really ominous image. Oh, God. Of all these poor people who are no longer with us. Then we're going through some little village in Connecticut, I don't know. Robbie's trying to join the army again. Yeah, like, there is active combat going on on the other side of this hill from this little village. For whatever reason, everyone decides to follow this convoy of tanks up the side of the hill, because they're like, ooh, I want to see war with aliens. It's always puzzled me why Robbie feels such a need to go fight these aliens with the army. He's 16 years old. He's, like He's going to join the army whether they like it or not. Like yeah. He really thinks that he's going to run up there and someone in fatigues is going to give him a gun. Like, Ray has to put Rachel near a tree, beg her to stay there so he can go after him. He's trying to be a man. He's a 16-year-old kid. He's trying to be a better man than his dad is. You're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong at all. I'm glad that you can do this. You can hate me. 
You can hate me, go. but I love you. Let I'm not go. letting you do this. Dad, just listen to me. I need to be here. I want to see this. Wait, wait, wait. Just stick with Joseph, your sister. Please let me go. You need to let me go. And he's like, you have to let me go. You need to let me go. This scene! And I mean, like, as a parent, when you have a young child like that, but an older one, mm-hmm. in something, like, horrendous as this, sometimes you have to let the older child fend for themselves. Like, it's a real Sophie's Choice situation. Yeah, it's like, really, it's a really horrible decision, but he makes it, lets Robbie go, he goes, he gets Rachel, and then the entire fucking hillside blows up. That is supposedly the end of Robbie. They think Robbie's just been vaporized in the heat. Because, like, I love the shot of all of the on-fire Hummers, <laughs> American Army Hummers coming back. It's like, oh, nope, never mind. And we see a tripod come out of all these flames, and you can see these Exocet missiles hitting the shields of the tripods, just like with Independence Day. And they see <laughs> there's a man holding the rifle. In the air. Over here! Over here! (laughs) And they go and they hide in this guy's basement, right? Him and Rachel. I love it because you, this guy, we don't see his face immediately. And they go down in the basement and you looked at me and you said, this guy's in things. I went, oh, really? And then he came into the light and I looked at you and I went, Ross, that's Tim Robbins. I went, oh, yeah, it is Tim Robbins. Hey. Marlon. Ogilvy. I got water. Food enough for weeks. You're welcome to stay, both of you. This is Ogilvy. Mr. Ogilvy. And Ogilvy is a pretty central character in the book as well. I don't know about in the radio play. I don't think there's enough time devoted to that storyline in the radio play. But, but Ogilvy's just living out in the middle of this little Connecticut village. He's got a farmhouse. He's he's got he's got the tools to survive off the land in this situation. He's holding up in the basement and he decides to take them in. Ogilvy at 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 first blush just looks like a man who's trying to ride out this hellscape. Exactly. Like he is fully prepared to survive this invasion and eventually fight back against the aliens. And, like, he's giving them safe haven, and Ray puts Rachel down to sleep. And that scene's rough, because that's where he's trying to sing to her, yeah. t- trying to give her some comfort, and it that's just really hard to watch. And then, oh, once she's asleep, Ogilvy's like, my boyo, I've got liquor. Yeah, want a drink? You could use a drink, right? And they sit down, and they start talking. They defeated the greatest power in the world in a couple of days. Walked right over us. These are only the first. They'll keep coming. This is not a war any more than there's a war between men and maggots. This is an extermination. This is where I wrote, we're being exterminated. Yeah, that it, basically, you have that line in almost every alien film. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> All right, we're trying to stay calm here, Ogilvy, okay? Tim Robbins is a wildly underrated actor. Very in- underrated, I would say. Like, I don't I don't want to say that he's underappreciated because he's got awards out the yin-yang, but, like, I just, I love him in everything. Indeed. He never fails to impress. And so they've settled down for the evening, and this is when the tripods, 
heads reappear outside. They start hearing them tear up the house over their heads. And this is where Ogilvy decides to show us just how unhinged he is. Yeah. He's like, all right, Ray, this is our moment. <laughs> I can't believe he actually thinks he's going to get back at these things with a rifle. Oh, my God. I ju- I, uh, the <sighs> army can't take these things down. Exactly. They have RPGs and helicopters. <laughs> he has a shotgun. And this, this is the robotic eye scene. We get this really tense sequence where this snake-like camera comes down into the bowels of this house where they're at to look around. This is the part that was always scariest for me because it's always scarier for me when there's no noise. Yeah, exactly. The thing that makes me shudder is that through this, you can actually kind of realize as you're watching this thing move through the basement, narrowly missing them at every corner, is that it's got this glow pattern through it. And what you can see is is that their technology is also powered by the blood of humans. Yeah, it's like a cyber, like a cyber, what am I trying to say? Like a cyborg kind of effect mm-hmm. where we're half robot, half flesh? Yeah. Ooh, it's so creepy. Miraculously, this thing does not notice them through a whole bunch of great shots. Like Ogilvy tries his damnedest to get them noticed. Like there's a point where he takes out an ax and he's going to chop that thing up. And Ray's like, you crazy bastard, please do not. He's just silently begging him to please like, not. Please, I have a daughter. Like Billy Zane, I have a child. Oh my God. <laughs> and they juke the camera. And this is where the aliens come down in after the camera. It's like they pulled in that thing and went, mm, I'm not convinced. Earn, get the ladder. <laughs> And there's something moving around down there. We got to go check it out. This is where we get the actual aliens themselves. And I, this part of the movie is weirdly dear because they are exterminating them, these aliens. But like while they're poking around this basement looking for humans, they're seeing all of these human objects, like the bicycle that's hanging on the wall. Uh-huh. And like they're spinning the wheels and like they're look- looking at pictures and old files that this person had in the basement. Yeah. And like the thing thing is, Rachel's watching the aliens look at shit and rifle through shit, and they're almost cute. Uh, yeah, they sure are. Like, they kind of have cute faces. They do! And the way they are conferring with each other, like, mm, yes, yes, mm, what is this? Mm. <laughs> Photograph. Mm. They have this steely gray skin, these positively, you know, deep blue eyes. They have three legs, and they have two little, like, Tyrannosaurus feelers <laughs> in the middle. And I love how they can walk on the walls and shit. Yeah, it's creepy. Like, they move so fluidly. It's almost like they're water. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's this really tense moment while the aliens are looking around and they're hiding that Ogilvy and Ray are struggling for control of the firearm. Yeah. Because Ogilvy takes aim to shoot one of the aliens. And Ray's like, nope, not today. <laughs> I'm going to live today, damn it. <laughs> We get to this point where Ogilvy finally gets the rifle away from Ray, and then we get that sound again. <laughs> Come on, it's dinner time. Yeah, it's the dinner bell. Yeah. <laughs> or like the, the like the beginning of the Flintstones music, where that work horn sounds. <laughs> yabba dabba doo. When the lights come on, that means come home. <laughs> and so the aliens fuck off back up to the ship, and. 
Ogilvy gets down in Ray's face and goes, You and me, I don't think we're on the same page. This is where Ogilvy becomes an even bigger problem. Because who knows how long he's been down in this basement by himself, right? Exactly. He's going crazier and crazier. As we go on through this sequence, we get to learn a little bit more about the alien's purpose here. Mm-hmm. Um, through, you know, peekings and glancings out of the tiny amounts of window space they have down there, mm-hmm. they can see what the aliens are doing to the land. What they're doing is, is that, and this is how it is in the book as well, that they're capturing people, harvesting all of their blood, consuming it. To survive, first of all, because that's what they consume, is blood. (laughs) How ghoulish! And then at the same time, through the technology that they have available with these tripod machines, they are cultivating the Earth's surface with this ragged, disgusting, sticky red weed. Wasn't this H.G. Wells' theory about why Mars is red? Yes, because in the... H.G. Wells' novel, these are Martians. These aliens come from the planet Mars. And so this was a very interesting theory to put behind why Mars is red. This red weed is now starting to crawl into the basement. And the thing we didn't mention about the weed is that it is vascular in nature. It's like there's. It's like the Earth is forming its own little cardiovascular system on the surface. And like they, the windows are now shot so they can see out into the open ground. And Ogilvy witnesses the aliens' process of draining the blood from the humans. Yes. Like they are a human juice box. Yes. And this is where he loses it. Not my blood! 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 Ogilvy is being loud. He's yelling. Not my blood! Yeah, he's literally digging a hole in one side of the basement. I wrote, why is Tim Robbins always trying to tunnel out in movies? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Not my blood! Not my blood! And he is unhinged. This tunnel, it'll get us to the city. And I'm like, it's not gonna get you five feet into the ground! (laughs) Like, and all at once, the sound of the tripods stops. Oh, God. And Ogilvy is digging and yelling and screaming, and he's the only sound for miles. He's gonna blow their cover. And Ray gets in his face and goes, do you understand what I'm gonna have to do? I can't have my daughter die because of you. (laughs) Literally, Ogilvy slams him in the head with that shovel. With the resistance, Ray. I can't occupy this country. Occupations always fail. History's taught us that a thousand times. This is our land. I love the shot of Tom Cruise with his hands over his face and just his tearing eyes. He knows what he has to do. And, like, that's when things get really fucked up. He's tying this piece of cloth around Rachel's eyes, and she's hyperventilating. She's like, what are you going to do? What's going on? And he goes, listen, I need you to do me a favor. Remember that song that I couldn't sing you before? <laughs> just cover your ears and sing it. For the love of God, just sing it. And she sings that little song called Hush by Mountain. And he walks over to that room where Ogilvy's losing it. He's digging and he's not paying attention. And Ray shuts the door behind him. Close your eyes. And we don't see it, but we know 
he's murdering Ogilvy behind that door. Probably strangled him to death. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And I just, I can't get over the emotional impact of that. He didn't want to do it. No. He did it to save Rachel. And thinking about how strangulation is such a personal way to kill someone. He was worried about union dues the day before yesterday. Yeah, and now he has to slowly watch the life leave another human's eyes at his hands. And the trauma of that child, knowing but not knowing what the fuck just happened. Yeah. And so we decide, okay, I just murdered someone. Let's take a nap. (laughs) Oh my God. I know you were trying to make me laugh, but it's horrible. Rachel wakes up in the middle of the night, and I hate this shot. (laughs) It pans around her staring face. And right to the right of her is the snake cam. (laughs) She starts screaming. Ray grabs the axe and cuts that thing in half. And then they know they're fucked. Rachel, meanwhile, has run up the stairs and out of the house. And Ray runs out after her. And when he opens that door, all the red weed covering the doorway ah! that he has to move out of the way, there's a literal pond of blood outside in the front yard. <laughs> and he's running around yelling for Rachel. And he comes up over this hill and you look out and the planet's just red as far as the eye can see. Everything the light touches yeah. is their kingdom. Welcome to New Mars. <laughs> oh, no. And he he just is like, he's given up there for a minute. Rachel. Rachel. The shot where you finally see Rachel and she's in the middle of the frame right in front of a tripod. Yeah. Frozen to the spot with fear. She can't run. She can't move. And guess what fucking happens? Rachel gets tooken. Yeah. Well, we all saw that coming, right? Yeah. She gets pulled up into this, into this ship and Ray's like, God damn it. I had one job. I can't lose both kids. Ray runs over to one of those army hummers and finds a grenade in one of them and goes, hey, throws it at the tripod. It hits the shield. The tripod is pissed. I like how the tripod just turns around like, hey! Hey, what the fuck? What the hell's wrong with you? And of course, it takes Ray too, and it throws him in this cage attached to the back of it. Yeah, they're hard to see, these cages from the ground. Yeah. But there are these two cages up underneath the tripod that's just full of humans. That's that they're harvesting blood from. These terrified people are all waiting in this cage to be drained like a Capri Sun. When Ray finds Rachel at the side of the cage... And she's just like deadpan, dead face, locked up. She's left her body. She's so traumatized. Yeah. Rachel. 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 And, like, it takes her a minute to realize he's with her. I know. There is a giant rectum just above them. The rectum is offensive. Like, yeah, it's just a part of the machine, but it looks like it's alive and looks like a goddamn sphincter. And this little, this tentacle thing, the claw. (laughs) The claw chooses who will go and who will stay. So fucked up. And then that tentacle thing grabs onto Ray. Alien's like, you're next. You were the one giving us all that trouble. (laughs) And you just picture them in the cockpit, go, Jerry, get that one. Get that one. He's a troublemaker. And this very brave army guy 
grabs onto Ray and is holding on to him and he's like, pull me down for the love of God, pull me down. <laughs> and they get, they are able to yank Ray back out of the ship. And then Ray spits out grenade pins into his hand. Oh my God. And they're like, okay, everybody hold on to your underwear. <laughs> everybody down. And the tripod explodes. And I love that that cage at their end falls directly into a tree. How is not everyone dead? <laughs> People are clambering down the side of the tree. And I'm like, you all should have been impaled. What the fuck? That is a peak climax scene, man. Yeah. But like, this is the beginning of the movie starting to peter out. The petering out, yes. And I really think we needed just one more action scene. I realize the movie would have been entirely too long, as is. It, I feel like they should have done some reorganizing yeah. of everything, you know? Because like, you're right, it does just kind of, this is, we're going downhill from here. And this is where we get that shot of everybody walking along the interstate into Boston what you begin to notice about their surroundings as they're walking into Boston is that the red weed is turning gray. Yeah. And it's all kind of fluttering away in the wind. <laughs> like Voldemort at the end of the movie. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and there's this great statue that they pass of Paul Revere. Ray tears a piece of the weed off and crumbles it in his hand like a dead leaf and fall. Mm -hmm. What happened to him? And that's when we see the shot of the tripod slumped over into a skyscraper. And it's like flaking and peeling away too. Mm -hmm. Like like you said, these machines are half flesh, half technology. So when they bring them down, it literally is like a loss of life in the machine itself. Indeed. The army's trying to regroup and everything. Ray and some other refugees are running by this convoy into this tunnel. And that's when Ray notices that the tripod that's left birds are landing on top of the tripod. And the tripod's behaving very strangely. It's stumbling around like it's just got a concussion or something, and the army hasn't hit it at all. Because mm -mm. they have shields, right? But like you said, he's the one that points out to the army guy... The birds are landing directly on the machine and they're not being vaporized 10 feet away from its surface. Look at the goddamn birds! Look at the birds! I can't hear you! Look at the goddamn birds! No steal! So this is where, I don't know what he says, some army jargon or something. <laughs> And they're like, okay, it's go time. This big grenade launcher. Or whatever this thing is. <laughs> they all take cover in this tunnel, and they fire that thing at the tripod. And it. I love the shot. I know it's a little messy. But, <laughs> and then they hit it directly, and that thing just falling through the building. It's like me stumbling out of the club at the end of the night. <laughs> Two frames early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that thing skids to a halt in front of all of them. And when they're up close to it, it's a lot smaller than it looks in the sky. Mm -hmm. And this, like, pod bay door opens. And then all this blood spills out of it. Oh, it looks like diarrhea. It looks like they're, it looks like they're emptying the RV at the campsite. Oh, gross. And <laughs> shitter was full. The army guys are slowly approaching it. And this alien slides out to the end of it. <laughs> and it's like... Like, it can't stay awake. 
this army guy comes up and holds up its hand with it, the end of his gun, and he's like, okay, he's done. <laughs> and we get the shot of the alien, and it's drying up in Ooh. real time. Flirt! Oh, keep back, keep back, come on. Then we cut to this quite untouched street. He's carrying Rachel down the street. And then we see Marianne come to the door of this little townhouse. She throws open the door and she's like, holy shit. I can't believe they're actually fucking here. And Rachel jumps out of Ray's arms. The way she screams mom's name. this he got her there safe he did he did and behind her come her parents played by gene barry and ann robinson respectively yes. from 1953 war of the worlds bless them i'm glad they were still around and then another blessed surprise robbie's here this makes me mad he survived the inferno at middlesex hill or wherever the hell they were and i demand someone tell me how i mean he probably just escaped it. He probably just got out. Yeah, but Russ, that's incredibly unsatisfying. It's a messy film, okay? That's why I want one more scene. You're right. Between the abduction scene. There needed to be another act. They needed to be one more scene, and I would have liked that scene to be them reuniting with Robbie, and then him getting both Robbie and Rachel home safe. Ray and Robbie sharing in a very long, well-deserved embrace. And then we get this aerial shot of Boston and there's just tripod after tripod laying on its side all over the place. They're going down everywhere, seemingly without any help from the humans. And Daddy Morgan Freeman is back. Oh, God is here. To tell us uh, just why this is happening, just why the aliens have all of a sudden been defeated. From the moment the invaders arrived, breathed our air, ate and drank, they were doomed. They were undone, destroyed, after all of man's weapons and devices had failed, by the tiniest creatures that God and his wisdom put upon this earth. It was the common cold, guys. It was the common cold all along. They came here and licked every surface they could. (laughs) And literally, the flu kills the aliens. They planned this invasion for a million years and never once contended with the possibility that there were microorganisms that would wipe them out entirely. Like, I just, I feel like the whole end of the story is like, yes, this is the great, this is the great triumph of man. The fact that we have existed here for thousands of years and we have earned the right to be here and to live here and the aliens did not. But at the end, the humans didn't defeat the aliens at all. It was literally our nature. It was germs. Yeah. And just, I just, I feel like I would have enjoyed the story more if there were like a big fight scene at the end of Independence Day. Exactly, exactly. See, Independence Day is so much more badass. It really is. Like, but this, you're right, it just peters out and Tom Cruise doesn't become Grand Poobah of Scientology at the end. (laughs) And after all that suffering, after all that money, I mean, 
guys, I still like the film. It's still visually thrilling yes. and pleasing, but I just did not remember it being so rough. Yeah, there in the middle when when humanity is really breaking down, it's it's really sad. It's really sad and scary. Uh, like, and I just it's I, some ominous filmmaking, but I feel like it's one of Spielberg's lazier projects, you know. <laughs> and you know they, but hey, it still made a shit ton of money, and people still watch it every year. It was it was nice being re-traumatized with you, brother. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Well, that's one alien flick out of the way. <laughs> Guys, get ready. I thought we'd start off with the roughest one. Yeah. Get that out of the way. Um, but next week, folks, we're going to be moving on to something a lot more lighthearted, but still alien related. And wow, is it a great staple of both of our childhoods. This has been a long time coming. It really has. Guys, we've been waiting forever to talk about this movie. I cannot stand it. I cannot wait a whole week. But here we are, folks. Next week, we will be covering the 2001 children's animated classic, Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius. Brain Blast! Oh, I'm so excited! Ah, guys, we're going to follow Jimmy Neutron and his gang of misfit friends from Retroville as we follow the abduction and rescue of their parents from the evil Yokus civilization. (laughs) Guys, we're going to be talking all about the show, all of our favorite characters. Chicken-themed space. Absolutely. Patrick Stewart's going to be here. He is. He is. <laughs> the, the show that kick-started one of the best Nickelodeon programs of all time. So look out for that next week, folks. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. That's not for you, Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't add us, Tom Cruise. God. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. Do not email us, Tom Cruise. <laughs> and don't forget, if you're not Tom Cruise, you can go over to Apple or Spotify and leave us a review. Practice the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. Folks, we want everyone to come and join our little watch party, except for Tom Cruise. <laughs> not for you. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry Mom.